It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 30. Can you believe we made it to 30? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because we just did. I didn't doubt us. I'm surprised the producers haven't canceled us yet, those TV execs. Yeah. Well, if we get canceled, then we'll just develop a cult following. (laughs) I was just about to say, I think we've produced more episodes than Serenity. (laughs) And better, too, obviously. (laughs) No controversy there. (laughs) Oh, poor Serenity. Rip. You mean Firefly, right? Oh, did I say the name of the movie and not the TV yeah, show? Yeah. I always get those confused. Yes, I did mean Firefly. But Serenity is ratted also. Okay, should I read our first question? Absolutely. I will do it. How do you reach consensus on a team? Should you? In meetings, it's hard for some leaders to reach consensus with a team. Uh, like, for example, whether to use doc strings in Python code. What styles have you seen work well for managing this? How do you make sure everyone on the team gets a chance to be heard without being stymied? Stymied. That's like a word. $64 word. Yeah. This is from an anonymous listener. Um, so thank you. Thank you, mysterious stranger. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Uh, consensus. So what is consensus? Do you want like a dictionary <laughs> definition? <laughs> uh, a- agreement? Yeah, I think that's... Does it, does it imply unanimity? I don't know. Right, let, me, let me check really quick. <laughs> I yeah, just got me, my mechanical keyboard working again. Oh, so wow. you can you can tell I'm Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a machine gun range. <laughs> Consensus. General agreement. Oh. That doesn't sound like you know. That's not very helpful. <laughs> so consensus on a team. What I would ask is why do you need consensus? Like what's the point of getting consensus? I'll tell you why. Because I absolutely refuse to put on a pair of socks until I have 100% buy-in from my whole team. (laughs) They got to be right. Yeah, otherwise the morale suffers. That's right. (laughs) Um, I I guess to me, the goal of consensus seems to be to make sure that everyone is... I I guess I I joked about morale, but it seems like a morale thing that... um, Hopefully, if you decide something, people won't just be like rebelling and doing the opposite, but they might be grumpy about it if they feel like they don't agree with the decision. So maybe, go ahead. I was going to ask then, is is it about making sure that everybody gets their two bits in or is it more about making sure you have good outcomes on the team? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say that if, if the goal is morale and if, if you can make people feel like, okay, I expressed my concerns, they understood them. There are these valid objections and we went a different direction, even though I disagree, like they listened to me. Maybe that's enough uh, to, to, to achieve the same goal, which is you're all moving in the same direction and no one's, no one's like sabotaging the ship. Yeah, that can be a bad situation. So it's more about making sure everyone can move forward. See, I don't even know. I just, I really have a hard time with defining this one, even though I know when consensus is working, right? Like I know I, the feeling on a team is like really yeah. apparent. Yeah. Well, there's an easy example in the question about, about some kind of code style issue or kind of documentation style issue, like mm-hmm. whether you use doc strings in Python code and, and you could substitute that for whatever language and style issue you, you want. Yeah. Um, in my experience, those those are fraught discussions because everyone has strong opinions about code style. 
And, and yet it's really valuable to have an agreed upon code style as a team. So how would you do it that way? It's, it's basically impossible to get everyone in a room and have them all agree on every aspect of code style. But yeah. somehow it's, it's valuable to have a shared team style. So how do you do that? Yeah, because a lot of times it just ends up being with whoever has the strongest personality gets to govern what the code style is. Right? Yep, yep. I've known lots of people like that where they win arguments through exhaustion. People just give up because <laughs> they're never going to, the, the other person will never give up. So I have argument stamina. Yeah, exactly. They just win because they're still standing and everyone else just walks away. It's like, whatever. I don't, I don't care. They were like, well, I guess my style was best. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it is true. And these, these conversations can go way too long. And it takes a strong leader to stand at the front of the group and say, okay, I think we've discussed this enough. Um, if you feel strongly about it, come talk to me privately. And if not, I'm going to send out a style and, or like a, maybe I'll send out an email or write a wiki page. And, uh, if I get enough plus ones, we'll just go for it. You know? Yeah, that's a great point about the length of time thing where you sometimes there's value in any decision and you just got to make one. Mm-hmm. And if you're worried about everyone agreeing 100% and not making anyone upset, then you might just be paralyzed. About uh, about two years ago, we were um, going to implement code reviews at my current company and I was the, in, the lead of the engineering team. And we had about 30 developers on the team and we were going to choose a uh, web-based code review tool. And we basically had several contenders and people felt pretty strongly about it. They were like, well, I've used Garrett in the past and I've, and other people said I've used review board. And there was this, you know, there was GitHub of course, which we couldn't use for contractual reasons, but, and then there was this up and coming project called GitLab, which is basically an open source GitHub clone. And it was my job to, to basically lead the team to choosing the right tool. And notice how I, that's how I felt my job was. And I didn't say to choose the right tool, but my job was to help lead the team toward it. And I actually had several meetings where I, I actually asked people, hey, if you have opinions about code review tools, I'm going to schedule some time and sit down with you and collect all your thoughts privately, like one-on-one, tell me everything you like and dislike about the various tools and options that are on the table, rather than having like, okay, we're going to do a gigantic roundtable meeting with 30 people and everyone's going to try to chime in, you know? And it actually came out, it was pretty fruitful. And we ended up making a choice and there was not consensus 100%. There were people who said, I would rather have X or Y. And, uh, but it still worked out because everybody had a chance to voice their concerns. And when, we, when I finally did present the final choice, I was able to say, look, here are the trade-offs we're making. Here's the good, here's the bad. You know, This one has this feature that's better than this other thing, but um, it doesn't have this, which this other thing does have, but we're not choosing it. And I think at the end of the day, we were able to be productive and work without getting stuck into argument by exhaustion. That makes a lot of sense. How do you decide when it's been enough time, when you've heard enough feedback? Because there's always some, in, in these kind of decisions, if there's not some element of trade-off, then the decision is easy and you don't, it's clear you don't need to worry about people being mad because everyone will agree. So you're you're in a place where you feel like you kind of know what people think and they're just different things that seem balanced against each other. How do you, how do you actually, as a team member or a leader, how do you participate in that? Like in a, if you're like in an open discussion with everyone at the time, is that what you're saying? Like, how no, do you not in an open discussion, just, just a team. Like, I'm, I'm not thinking about like the time when you're all in the meeting together. I'm thinking oh, okay. about how you get to the decision. However, however, 
I don't know, however that looks. I mean, I think once you've heard from everybody, you know, you're never, by the way, you're never going to hear from everybody because there will always be team members who just don't really care that much, right? Or at least aren't expressive enough to really go after it with you. But when you start hearing the same things repeated and you haven't, you've talked to several people and you haven't heard anything new, I think that's when you say, okay, I think I've pretty well fully exhausted this space, you know? And then you have to make a call. I'm talking. So you you say you make a call. Is your are you saying that the leader is is responsible for um, sifting through it all and making the decision? Um, not necessarily. In fact, no. In fact, I would say specifically no, because the best decisions are the ones where the team, like, obviously the best is easiest would be like you said, if everyone already agrees. <laughs> but that would actually be a terrible situation. Um, but I think. Uh, the leader doesn't necessarily make the call, but when they do present the final decision, it's like the team feels like they all arrived at that decision together. That's the best situation, even if it disagrees with their personal opinion. Yeah. This is all pretty amorphous. It is very amorphous <laughs> because this is such, this is like the softest of the soft skills. This feels I, really, really context it's dependent. Super soft. And just, yeah, just marshmallow downy soft (laughs) i'm thinking about when this has happened throughout my career and i feel like i've seen all kinds of cases where it's worked well and where it hasn't worked well and it's varied wildly what the approach was and it doesn't seem like it's correlated very strongly with what the outcome was like i've i've been on teams where it was uh someone took feedback from everyone and then they just made a decision. I've been on teams where it was Mm -hmm. just top down. Someone just made a decision. They didn't even get Mm -hmm. that much feedback. I've been on teams where there was exhaustive in-depth discussion for a long time and the team made the decision and all of those things have worked and not worked. And, And by worked, I mean like were good technical decisions and the team was happy with how it worked out later Mm -hmm. on. So (laughs) I don't really know. Yeah. I, I, there is definitely a way you can do it wrong, which is letting it devolve into, like you said, like this stamina situation where yeah. you, people start repeating themselves. Yeah. Like once you've heard the same argument more than once from the same person in one of these conversations, it's like, okay, we're done here. You know, like you've already trotted that argument out and now we need to put it to rest. Yep. So how do you figure out when you need to actually build unanimity with these kinds of things? Like what, what it, is there like a certain level of importance on the decision that like the higher the importance, the more unanimity is important? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I'm, I'm just trying to think and, and really this one seems so, so incredibly context dependent that I'm having trouble coming up with hard and fast rules. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, uh, uh, as far as like what the outcomes are, I think for approaches, it makes sense to make sure the team feels heard. I think you could go either way between the team making the decision and the team lead hearing everybody and making the decision. But if you, uh, with either of those, if, if the team feels like they've been heard, I think that seems okay. Yeah. I think that's a, the number one ingredient. And there's probably trade-offs. Uh, you, you might be trading more time efficiency if one person is responsible for making the decision. Like they'll just hear it all and then go off in a room and then come back and that's the end of it versus the team mm-hmm. might kind of go back and forth a lot. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, I guess so. it's, it's hard to make decisions as a group. If you, if you have disagreement 
and there's no one in charge of resolving that disagreement if it's just right. everyone's job to make a decision um it tends to I just would, kind of stay I, with whatever it is right now yeah. i would say it's actually impossible <laughs> like, yeah based on human experience yep yeah i've i've definitely been on flat teams and they have some great things and one thing that's really hard is making broad technical decisions like this or for example like should we switch to a new database or or what tech stack should we build this new thing in or whatever those mm -hmm. kind of things where there are lots of opinions and everyone's opinion counts the same and there's no one in charge of gathering them all and kind of uh collating them those are those are hard they just or, stagnate yeah or or like uh i don't know we haven't had great test coverage should we add 100% test coverage like those in in my experience those work way better as you need 100% test coverage then like what should we do and then you all just talk about the trade-offs forever until you die <laughs> and then it doesn't matter like, well i guess it didn't matter <laughs> we're all dead <laughs> yeah so i read this tweet from julia evans a couple of weeks ago that she i think wrote, she she might be the most quoted person on this podcast oh, i feel like i've quoted her like four or five times <laughs> we should reach out to her and say hey you just earned an honor you didn't even know you wanted <laughs> she's like i don't think it's an honor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so she said um that Oh, it's hard to read a tweet sometimes, but it says, old Julia says, it's hard to build consensus around decisions. New Julia says, getting 10 people to all 100% agree with you isn't how you do it. And I think that's totally true, but it's so hard to figure out what is the subset of people that need to agree before you can really proceed. And do you remember we talked about, oh, this, uh, there was a great changelog episode um, interviewing the guy who created the C4, the code contribution, mm -hmm. or community code contribution contract or something. And one of the aspects of it, which we've talked about before, is that you always move forward, which means that if you have a problem with the way something is done, then you show your willingness to fix it by doing something additional. Like if you have a problem with the way some code is written, submit a, a new pull request to fix it rather than just stymieing an existing pull request. And I think that with decision-making on a team, that's important too. And it's like, hey, you want to help write our style guide? Great, you can contribute. Your input has to be that you have to help write it. You know, it's not just, I have to say some things in a meeting and suddenly they become gospel. Sure. You know, like the barrier to entry there is too low. And so I think that'll help weed out the people who really don't actually care that much because sometimes engineers express an opinion and it sounds like it's life or death. But really, they don't care that much, <laughs> right? It's They're just so saying what true. they think. <laughs> I have done that, and I've seen other people do it too. You just you just want to feel like you've thrown your blurb in, and yeah. sometimes it feels powerful to have a strong dissenting opinion. So you just I don't know, it just comes up from nowhere. Yeah, not to mention as engineers, we're basically trained to identify the outlier and the edge case, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, hey, I just want to point out that if we do that database, we're not going to be able to do inner joins. Everyone hear me? <laughs> you know? Yep. Like, oh, anyway. and then a hush falls over the crowd. <laughs> Dave knew that. Wow, how did he know that? What an impressive human being. <laughs> so I think as a contributor, you need to avoid that. <laughs> and also make sure to share not just your opinion, but the strength of it as well. Like you could say, I feel really strongly about this, or I don't feel too strongly about this, and then share your opinion. That's a good point about strength of opinion. That also made me think of um, that there are some decisions that have larger impact than others and some that you're probably more okay uh, kind of steamrolling people on or having dissenters on. Mm -hmm. um, 
something major like the core architecture of your product or or the the programming language that you work in every day that one you might want to try a little bit harder to get consensus but mm, something definitely. like i don't know the the style of your documentation that that the outcome of the of the decision is not going to affect things as much like for for some reason i i tend to get really really uh heated about little tiny style things and mm -hmm. and i just need to be steamrolled in those because really they're not that big of a deal mm -hmm. <laughs> even though i have a strong opinion about it right but like say they follow my opinion or they don't the the delta between those two is probably <laughs> not that big so and and it's mostly in your head <laughs> in your particular brain i mean yeah <laughs> is where most of the delta is yep yep <laughs> exactly every time you type a semicolon you're like God, I wish I didn't have to type this semicolon. Dave, I am a weird <laughs> human being because as soon as I said that, I thought, what about some visionary that finds out about this new language that's so productive and will like change the team's, the course of the team and they mm -hmm. just make everyone do it and then they're all better off. Like you hear these stories sometimes. Uh, I'd really love yeah. to hear the next blog post from like two years later once they've been <laughs> using it for two years. But, but I feel like I have heard these stories about like, this one person just really loved closure or whatever and they started using it and then the team fell in love and we're so glad we're using it. It's so awesome. And yeah, but for know. every one of those, there's 10 people who try to do the same thing with Haskell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they didn't get the blog post. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's no glory in avoiding success at all costs. Yeah. No, no offense, Hasklers. We love you guys, but just wanted to make, just wanted to use yeah, that I'm as a an closet example. Haskler. Well, that's good. I, I feel comfortable with you insulting my Aren't people. all Hasklers closet Hasklers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just basing that on their mantra of avoiding success at all costs. There are dozens of us, Dave. <laughs> Careful. Okay. Do we? So, speaking of consensus, do we have consensus on this question? Uh, I think we. It's easier to identify the things not to do than the things to do. And I, let me just try summarizing the things not to do. You should not let these conversations spiral out of control into long running conversations. And you should not exclude people's voices inadvertently by choosing forums that aren't conducive to everybody contributing, right? Like not everybody is super comfortable just piping up in the middle of a, you know, 20 person meeting. Um, and what else? Are those the only two things to avoid? <laughs> yeah. I think if if you are a leader, I'm going to say some things to do. If you are a leader and you're in the model where you will make the decision, if there are dissenters, I think you owe it to them to put effort into saying, in, into making sure they know that you understand their concerns, even if you disagree with them. I think yeah, that would help them feel better about it. Um, if you're a team member, if you feel like you're in a situation where the team has just been spinning its wheels, I think it's perfectly fair to say like, hey, we're kind of going in circles and we, we need to mm -hmm. make a decision. Um, and, and that will work even better if you say, and I'm, I'm okay. Like, I think this is the right thing, but I'm okay with the decision mm -hmm. is something else, but we just need to make some progress. Yeah. I like that. And in fact, the other thing I like to do is say, Hey, everybody, if this doesn't turn out, how will we know? And make sure people can say like, for example, on the coding style thing, like you were pointing out a minute ago, there's probably not going to be huge dire repercussions if he goes if you choose the wrong one right 
but you could say, how will we know? So first of all, establish like some kind of metric for success. Like if, if, if this goes well, it should look this way. If it goes poorly, it would look this way. And then also put like a pilot period on it and say, you know what, we're going to just going to do this for a month and see how that month goes. And at the end of it, we'll look back and say, was it good or bad? And I know some decisions you can't really do that with because they're too, too much upheaval. But with a lot of them, you really can, you know, and just say, hey, we'll try it and see how it goes. It was going real well. And then the moon turned to blood. <laughs> and we switched back to using single quotes instead of double quotes in our JavaScript <laughs> strings. And it, then it was fine. And the moon, yeah, the lost moon its blood color. Turned on Back to cheese. <laughs> yep, back to cheese. All right. I think that means the question has been answered. Consensus achieved. We did it. Do you want to read our second question, Dave? Yes, this comes from listener Kevin Stone. The subject is code editing etiquette, which, by the way, is a tongue twister. Try saying that five times fast. You said it impressively well. Editing etiquette. It takes all my concentration. <laughs> <laughs> what okay. you didn't see is Dave just slumped over in his chair in exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from listener Kevin Stone, he writes, what is the etiquette around editing code in a shared repository? To put it simply, there are two cultural factions at our company. One is the older generation who has been at the company for over 20 years and feels very strong ownership of the files they touch. The other consists of relatively newer but still senior engineers who prefer a more collaborative approach and don't mind if code they work on has changed frequently. I often find it difficult to navigate the divide between these two approaches. So, what do we advise? Maybe we can talk about what you think the ideal etiquette would be just in a vacuum and then and then see if there are differences here. So like the Cuz maybe this is fine, right? Like I don't know. That's fine. Somebody punches you in the face when you when you edit their file. It's okay. You shouldn't have touched their f- dang file. That's <laughs> what you get. I, I <laughs> told you not to touch my file, Johnny. <laughs> not in my house. <laughs> I was thinking we could explore the tongue-twisting nature a little bit more and say, what if it's editor editing etiquette? <laughs> okay. <laughs> edit, don't edit my editor editing etiquette. Oh, what if you're writing a document about editor editing etiquette? Would that be editing the editor editing etiquette document? You've lost me. <laughs> I just slumped over in my chair again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you think it should be like in the ideal world? This is, this is going to be purely opinion on my part. Um, because I think That's there weird. is some... That's You mispronounced fact. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be purely my fact. (laughs) 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 But um, it seems to me like a healthy team is able to work in each other's code. This is my experience. And as soon as you have a piece of code that can only be edited by one person, you have two problems. The first one is a bus factor, which, you know, it's kind of the gruesome metaphor, which says, what if this person gets hit by a bus and dies? Then what? Because, of course, at that point, the only thing you need to worry about is the code. <laughs> no, not <laughs> the, about the undo redo code. <laughs> oh, that's so. That's, Our quarterly profits are going to suffer <laughs> percentages. <laughs> so heartless. Um, so the bus factors is number one thing to consider. But the other one is, um, how do you know that that code is like, um, well, I guess really it's just the bus factor. Like I was going to say, how do you know it's like able to be maintained by your peers and, and high quality and stuff. But 
but really that just goes back to the the bus factor like anytime you have one piece of code that can only be touched by one person you have a problem if that person disappears or goes on vacation or gets sick or any number of things yeah i think there are that feels right to me there are some places that practice um kind of like radical no one can own any code and there everyone works in every part i think there mm-hmm. could be value in that what i prefer is so definitely anyone can edit any code but people still kind of have just areas of specialty maybe because they've yeah. developed a feature and i don't i don't know that you need to aggressively stamp those out but i agree with the premise that i should be able to just pull open any file and, and change a thing and make it better or add a feature yeah and and i agree with that as well and when i say there shouldn't be ownership like that of a person sorry that a person shouldn't own a single file i don't mean that teams shouldn't own files i do actually believe team ownership is is important because otherwise when there's a bug like who fixes it like who's who's on the line to get that done you know yeah that makes sense <coughs> excuse me so i actually still remember the first time I still, as if it was that long ago i still remember <laughs> the first time i was a team lead it has been 10 years but i remember I, it was me and one other developer and we were tasked with creating this new product together and we had had these nice conversations about how it was going to go and we talked about the architecture and stuff and then i got sucked into some meetings at one point and he just went whole hog and implemented a ton of stuff and i came back to the office and he's showing me all the stuff he built and i'm like oh oh and at first i felt like this twinge of frustration like how could you go behind my back and build all this stuff without talking to me like how am i going to edit this code in the future if i don't see how it's written or you know and i got kind of upset i didn't really verbalize this this all happened over the course of just a few seconds but then i realized as the light drenched me so you know rolled over me the light light of enlightenment hit it hit me like a bus did you get that (laughs) i i did but you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a laugh track, Jameson. <laughs> anyway, the, the, I got a little bit of enlightenment and I realized, hey, my feelings on this are unimportant. I can catch up on this code. I can get it. I can figure it out. But progress was made and that was the important thing. And I realized at that moment that I had to learn to let go so that other people could make progress on the project without me like hanging over them and, you know, reviewing every line and and uh just basically micromanaging so i did i let go and now i know there is no spoon there is a bus though there is a bus so yeah it sounds like we agree that this is a bad situation this is a bad and wrong situation what does uh what does kevin do about it so that's it depends on his role on the team like is kevin responsible for this team or is he a contributing member of the team kevin Um, is a dang whippersnapper (laughs) he has not been here for 20 years i i'm I'm assuming he's part of the other generation of newer but still senior engineers um which is the same thing as a little baby to the older (laughs) generation You can edit my code as soon as I don't have to change your diapers anymore. Yeah, yeah. Once you tell me about the time you shook Ronald Reagan's hand. <laughs> oh, wait, you didn't because you weren't alive <laughs> you weren't then. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think 20 years is a really long time to stay at the same company. I just do. I mean, not all companies are like this, but wow. 
or at least to be working in the same code base. Good grief. Let's be honest. That's a long time for a company (laughs) to exist (laughs) as a software company. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah. So you were talking about whether he is a, a leader or a member on the team. So how do you influence the team to change this behavior without um, basically tattletailing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, even what if... uh, Actually, go ahead. Never mind. I was going to say that in this situation, I would probably have a conversation with the team leadership, but you have to be careful not to come across as a tattletale because um, the last thing you want is to undermine the people on your team and throw them under the bus another bus metaphor just got in there that's our third for those of you that are keeping track (laughs) and i the way that i would do that is i would go to leadership and say hey i just want to understand our process and our you know areas of responsibility and how we work is this cool you know this way like is it okay is it cool if i edit other people's code or is that just completely taboo you know and make sure that the leadership on your team which is maybe even more than one person are aware that this is happening and then let them make a decision on it there because it could be that they don't realize that this level of code hoarding is going on. It could also be a thing that has just sprung up kind of over time without any intention. Like it evolved. Yeah. So, so um, not even that they don't realize it's there, but that they, they're kind of aware of it in the background, but they're not, Yeah. they're not, they're not recognizing it as a problem. And it definitely definitely is a problem Mm -hmm. it's like the missing step problem have you heard that before no this is like where you have you live in an old house and it's missing a step on the stairwell and everyone's lived there so long that they've just gotten in the habit of stepping over that step Mm -hmm. but then someone new moves into the house and they literally fall through the stairs you know, and everyone's like, oh, why didn't you just step over it? And it's like, well, I... <laughs> <laughs> what a dummy. Can't even walk on stairs. <laughs> so that that's what this feels like to me. It's like, if what you're saying is true, Jameson, that this kind of evolved, it could be a missing step. Missing stair step. So um, you can talk to the leadership and bring it up. And then hopefully the outcome of that would be them kind of, I don't know, recognizing it's a problem and, and talking to the team and saying like, hey, everyone can edit everyone's code. Make sure they're not breaking your code or, or our code. See, I even did it. Make sure they're not mm. breaking it, mm-hmm. but it's not your code. It is our code. See, and if I was in this situation, if I was the leader of this team and this complaint came to my ears, the first thing I would say is, where's our code review process? Because a good code review process could probably mediate this situation. How so? Well, because it feels a lot different it feels different to me to have someone edit my project and then like say push it to production mm-hmm. than it does for them to send me a pull request which is very different it's it's like asking forgiveness versus permission right you're like saying hey can i edit this code in the following way mm-hmm. and give me feedback it gives you a chance to give feedback to review make sure it's going to be solid rather than saying hey you know just so you know i uh, broke into your house last night and rearranged the furniture in your living room i hope that's cool <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I love what you've done with the place. It's so cool. <laughs> okay. So, it, you know, mentally, like psychologically, even if you so, like the so way that they rearranged your furniture, you're still going to be upset. So it's like a softer way of, of introducing them to the idea that you are going to be editing their code instead of yeah. them just finding out and, and it being yes, a surprise. Exactly. Okay. And that makes even sense. In, even in the code review language that we often use, like pull request, merge request, these words are are like permission words, right? It's like, I am requesting to edit your code. 
Yeah. You know? And I mean, hey, on open source projects, it's not like we just give open commit rights to everyone, right? There's a review process and that means that there's ownership and yeah, we don't just allow anybody to come in here and edit stuff. Yeah. So on a team, you know, why not have the same thing? And, and I think this, I think it would help a lot in this situation. I'm just assuming that they don't have code review already. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm reading the question again. What if it's so bad? What if it's so uh, balkanized that um, you're editing like 10 people's files if you're just making a change? Because often you have to make a change in a bunch of different files for a feature. And what if the problem is just you're just like crossing so many borders that everyone is mad at you? Hmm. I, it, it, that seems like it just has to be a top-down thing at that point. Yeah, yeah. Because, Dave, you mentioned this um, when we were prepping. You said that this is this seems like a, a symptom of a broken culture, and yeah. that's really hard to change as just an individual member on the team with the authority of just, like, a, a person on the team. Yeah, it really is. Hey, heck, it's hard to change culture even if you're the team lead. Yeah, exactly. If if you're highly influential on the team, it's still really hard, let alone if you're if you're kind of pushing against the the grain. Um I think didn't you have a story about uh Yeah. I do have a story about about something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> about words. So I, I have been in this situation before where it was a little bit less stodgy and formal the way that I'm hearing it described in this question. But there was one time when I, I, I learned that a peer of mine was working on a feature. And I had also just learned about this new programming concept that I thought, oh, this would be a perfect application of this concept. And so I uh, wrote up the, fe- the feature using this new programming concept and I made a diff and I emailed it to him and I just said, hey, check out this diff. This might solve the problem. I've heard about this concept and, I've, and I think it really elegantly solves the problem that you've been trying to solve. And he actually wrote back and was a little upset. And he said, you've now put me in a, in a tough spot because I had a different solution in mind and now you've put me in a place where I have to choose between your solution, which is already done, and my solution, which is not done yet, but is different and more thorough than the one you've done, because mine was actually a little bit of a shortcut. And he was a little upset with that. And I realized that I've been in this situation before. And I think that the key is in this situation would have been earlier communication with the people to say to them, hey, I want to make these changes, but I need your help and guidance and, and just try to communicate upfront what your intentions are rather than just saying, here's your broken code I fixed, you know? And <laughs> hey, I found all these faces. stupid things and I made them smart. <laughs> That's a great point, Dave. I, um, Even if it feels like it's going to take you longer and there's all this overhead and you might have to incorporate some feedback that, that on an absolute scale isn't exactly perfect or the thing you think is the right thing, it can definitely pay... Um, like productivity and team dividends over the long term by by encouraging more collaboration. I'm just thinking about some times where I've kind of like tried to cowboy code it up because I'm like, ah, these mm-hmm. people don't know what they're doing. I'll just do it myself. And uh, most of the time I was wrong, but even the times where I was right, it it I think it was still a net negative, yeah. even because uh, 
it just hurt the the team unity a little bit. Yeah, like you you kind of broke trust a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so um, this was the thing I had to learn that sometimes you can sacrifice like raw efficiency and productivity in the short term, but it can be better at overall if you just talk to people a little bit more. Yeah, totally agree. So I love that, and that that might actually be a great solution. I mean, pull requests are a a newfangled technology. If That's people have been here for twenty years. Uh, there's probably lots of code that's not on <laughs> GitHub or some other code review tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just the old-fashioned code review of like, look at this code on my computer, uh, or, mm. or talking in person might be an oh, easier know, or shorter-term solution. It's so hard though because there's like this mental block in my mind where it's different. It's like sending a request, like emphasis on the request to someone to say i'm asking permission to enter your castle well you could do it in a you could do it in like a design doc then you could just say i mean you don't even need code written at that point you You can just say hey i've looked at the feature here's my thoughts i think i'm gonna have to touch these files too what do you think about it and yeah not make it explicitly like chief captain of this file (laughs) may i (laughs) may i modify it just say hey here's my idea and then if if they say your idea is awesome then that implicitly means you can touch this code. Can has in your base? Yeah. <laughs> yep, you can exactly. use words like proposal and uh, like that to make it come off a little, a little softer, mm-hmm. you know, where you can say, I have a proposal for an idea, you know, yep. for a potential implementation instead of just mm-hmm. saying, here's how to fix all the things. Yep. I, I like that one, idea. One other key is, this is a cultural thing, but one other key culture element is to try to separate the concept of ownership from this concept of sole contributor. Like ownership should mean responsibility for something, not that you're the only person contributing to that thing. In other words, if there's issues with it, like you have to help get them fixed, but you should, ownership means that you should create a environment where other people can contribute as well and still be productive. And I think they've actually conflated those two things here on this team. Yeah, that's a thing that I think open source has really exposed a lot of developers to where there's usually some kind of owner of a project, but all kinds of people just swarm on it and help if it's a large mm-hmm. enough project. Mm-hmm. And and lots of people welcome that participation because it means the code has more eyeballs on it, there's more test coverage, more features, all that kind of stuff. So, But it also means you have to give up a certain degree of control. Yeah. You know, you have to be willing to read other people's code. Yep. And uh, that takes time and effort. And just get like furious messages on GitHub about how much <laughs> of a moron you are for not thinking of this use case. Exactly. All right. I think we've answered this question. We definitely provided some answers. We did. Code editing etiquette. This was a great question. Absolutely. As with all of our questions, if you uh, are the asker or even a listener and find yourself in a similar situation and you uh, either take or ignore our advice, I'd love to hear the outcome of it and what happened Mm -hmm. afterwards. Absolutely. We're just kind of tossing stuff out and it can be nice to see what comes back sometimes. I would say we would especially like to hear it if it comes out badly. Sure. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Serious? I don't know. Just Those are more interesting. Okay. It's like, I tried it and here's a new perspective. Your advice didn't work because of this other factor you didn't consider. And it's like, oh, enlightenment. As opposed yeah. to, hey guys, worked great. <laughs> you know? High five. If you're, if you're not failing, you're not learning. Yeah. Just wait long enough that the pain has passed and you're not too mad at us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right dave how can people hear more from us 
Hit up our website on softskills.audio. You can subscribe there. You can link it to your friends and they can subscribe. You can even listen to episodes in real time right there and stream them on the webpage, which is all good and fun. And you can also hit us up on Twitter. If you're a Twitter user, follow us at softskillseng, where we publish each episode as it comes out. You can be the first to know. And that is also the place where you can submit your own questions that we will answer. The questions we answered today came from Twitter. And we have so many in our backlog now. It is fantastic. We promise we'll work through all of them as quickly as we can. Feel free to send us a direct message on Twitter. You do have to have a Twitter account to do that, but you do not have to be a follower and we don't have to follow you. But we might. (laughs) (laughs) Just dangle that out there. (laughs) Here's a little follower fruit that I'm dangling in front of you. (laughs) All right, we'll catch you next week.